Disc 4 There was a tiara in one box that seemed to be made only of big diamonds. Anne picked it out of its box gently. Then she put it on her hair. I'm a princess. It's my crown, she said. You look lovely, said Nobby admiringly. You look as grand as Delphine the bareback rider when she goes into the ring on her horse with jewels shining all over her. Anne put on necklaces and bracelets and sat there on the ledge like a little princess, shining brightly in the magnificent jewels. Then she took them off and put them carefully back into their satin-lined boxes. Well, what a haul those two rogues have made, said Julian, pulling out some gleaming silver plate from another package. They must be very fine burglars. I know how they work, said Dick. Lou's a wonderful acrobat, isn't he? I bet he does all the climbing about up walls and over roofs and into windows. And Tiger Dan stands below and catches everything he throws down. You're about right, said Nobby, handling a beautiful silver cup. Lou could climb anywhere, up ivy, up pipes, even up the bare wall of a house, I shouldn't wonder. And jump... He can jump like a cat. He and Tiger Dan have been in this business for a long time, I expect. That's where Uncle Dan went at night, of course, when we were on tour and I woke up and found him gone out of the caravan. And I expect he stores the stolen goods in that wagon of his you showed us, said Julian, remembering. You told us how angry he was with you once when you went and rummaged about in it. He probably stored it there... And then he and Lou came up here each year and hid the stuff underground, waiting till the police had given up the search for the stolen things, and then they come and get it and sell it somewhere safe. A jolly clever plan, said Dick. What a fine chance they've got, wandering about from place to place like that, hearing of famous jewels or plate, slipping out at night, and Lou climbing up to bedrooms like a cat. I wonder how they found this place. It's a most wonderful hidey hole. Yes, nobody would ever dream of it, said George. And then we go and put our caravan bang on the top of the entrance, just when they want to put something in and take something out, said Julian. It must have annoyed them. What are we going to do about it, said Dick. Tell the police, of course, said Julian promptly. What do you suppose? My word, I'd like to see the face of the policeman who first sees this little hall. They put everything back carefully. Julian shone his torch up the tunnel. Shall we explore a bit further or not, he said. It still goes on. Look. Better get back, said Nobby. Now we've found this, we'd better do something about it. Oh, let's just see where the tunnel goes to, said George. It won't take a minute. All right, said Julian, who wanted to go up the tunnel as much as she did. He led the way, his torch shining brightly. The tunnel came out into another cave, not nearly as big as the one they had left behind. At one end, something gleamed like silver and seemed to move. There was a curious sound there, too. What is it? said Anne, alarmed. They stood and listened. Water, 
said Julian suddenly. Of course. Can't you hear it flowing along? It's an underground stream flowing through the hill to find an opening where it can rush out. Like that stream we saw before we came to our caravan camping place, said George. It rushed out of the hill. Do you remember? This may be the very one. I expect it is, said Dick. They went over to it and watched it. It rushed along in its own hollowed-out channel, close to the side of the cave wall. Maybe at one time it ran across this cave and down the tunnel we came up by, said Julian. Yes, look, there's a big kind of groove in the floor of the cave here. The stream must have run there once. Then, for some reason, it went a different way. Let's get back, said Nobby. I want to know if Pongo's all right. I don't somehow feel very comfortable about him. And I'm jolly cold, too. Let's go back to the sunshine and have something to eat. I don't want a picnic down here, after all. All right, said Julian. And they made their way back through the tunnel. They passed the rock shelf on which lay the treasure and came at last to the enormous gleaming cavern. They went across it to the hole that led down into the small cave. Down they went, Julian and George trying to manage Timmy between them. But it was very awkward, for he was a big dog. Then along the passage to the entrance hole. They all felt quite pleased at the idea of going up into the sunshine again. Can't see any daylight shining down the hole, said Julian, puzzled. It would be near here. He came up against a blank wall and was surprised. Where was the hole? Had they missed their way? Then he flashed his torch above him and saw the hole there, but there was no daylight shining in. I say, said Julian in horror, I say, what do you think's happened? What? asked everyone in panic. The hole is closed, said Julian. We can't get out. Somebody's been along and put those planks across, and I bet they've put the caravan over them too. We can't get out. Everyone stared up at the closed entrance in dismay. They were prisoners. Whatever are we to do, said George. Julian, what are we going to do? Chapter 19 Prisoners Underground Julian didn't answer. He was angry with himself for not thinking that this might happen. Although Lou and Dan had been seen getting on the bus with bags, they might easily not have been spending the night away. The bags might contain things they wanted to sell, stolen goods of some kind. They came back quickly and came up the hill, I suppose, to have another try at getting Nobby and Pongo back, said Julian out loud. What an idiot I am to leave things to chance like that. Well, I'll have a try at shifting these planks. I should be able to, with luck. He did his best, and did shift them to a certain extent, but, as he feared, the caravan had been run back over the hole, and even if he managed to shift some of the planks, it was impossible to make a way out. Perhaps Pongo can help, he said suddenly. He shouted loudly, Pongo! Pongo! Come and help! Everyone stood still, hoping that they would hear Pongo chattering somewhere near or scraping at the planks above. 
but there was no sign or sound of Pongo. Everyone called, but it was no use. Pongo didn't come. What had happened to him? Poor Nobby felt very worried. I wish I knew what has happened, he kept saying. I feel as if something horrid has happened to poor old Pongo. Where can he be? Pongo was not very far away. He was lying on his side, his head bleeding. He was quite unconscious and could not hear the frantic calls of the children at all. Poor Pongo! What Julian had feared had actually happened. Lou and Dan had come back up the hill, bringing money with them to tempt Nobby and Pongo back. When they had got near to the hollow, they had stood still and called loudly. Nobby! Nobby! We've come to make friends, not to hurt you. We've got money for you. Be a sensible boy and come back to the camp. Mr Giorgio is asking for you. When there had been no reply at all, the men had gone nearer. Then they had seen Pongo and had stopped. The chimpanzee could not get at them because he was tied up. He sat there, snarling. Where have those kids gone? asked Lou. Then he saw that the caravan had been moved back a little, and he at once guessed. They found the way underground, the interfering little brutes. See, they've moved one of the caravans off the hole. What do we do now? This first, said Tiger Dan in a brutal voice, and he picked up an enormous stone. He threw it with all his force at poor Pongo, who tried to leap out of the way but the rope prevented him, and the stone hit him full on the head. He gave a loud scream and fell down at once, lying quite still. You've gone and killed him, said Lou. So much the better, said Tiger Dan. Now, let's go and see if the entrance hole is open. Those kids want their necks ringing. They went to the hollow and saw at once that the hole had been discovered opened, and that the children must have gone down it. They're down there now, said Tiger Dan, almost choking with rage. Shall we go down and deal with them, and get our stuff and clear off? We meant to clear off tomorrow anyway. Might as well get the stuff out now. What, in the daylight, with any of the farm men about to see us? said Lou with a sneer. Clever, aren't you? Well, have you got a better idea? asked Tiger Dan. Why not follow our plan, said Lou. Go down when it's dark and collect the stuff. We can bring our wagon up as we plan to do tonight. We don't need to bother about forcing the children to go now. They're underground, and we can make them prisoners till we're ready to clear off. I see, said Dan, and he grinned suddenly, showing his ugly teeth. Yes, We'll close up the hole and run the caravan back over it and come up tonight in the dark with the wagon, go down, collect everything and shut up the hole again with the children in it. We'll send a card to Giorgio when we're safe and tell him to go up and set the kids free. Why bother to do that? said Lou in a cruel voice. Let em starve underground, the interfering little beasts. Serve em right. Can't do that, said Dan. Have the police after us worse than ever. And we'll have to chuck some food down the hole, keep them going till they're set free. 
No good starving them, Lou. There'd be an awful outcry if we do anything like that. The two men carefully put the boards over the top of the hole and replaced the heather tufts. Then they ran the caravan back over the place. They looked at Pongo. The chimpanzee was still lying on his side, and the men could see what a nasty wound he had on his head. He ain't dead, said Lou, and gave him a kick. He'll come round all right. Better leave him here. He might come to himself if we carried him back to camp and fight us. He can't do us any harm tonight, tied up like that. They went away down the track. Not ten minutes afterwards, the children came to the hole and found it blocked up. If only they hadn't stopped to explore that tunnel a bit further, they would have been able to get out and set Timmy on the two men. But it was too late now. The hole was well and truly closed. No one could get out. No one could find poor Pongo and bathe his head. They were real prisoners. They didn't like it at all. Anne began to cry, though she tried not to let the others see her. Nobby saw that she was upset and put his arm round her. Don't cry, little Anne, he said. We'll be all right. It's no good staying here, said Julian at last. We might as well go somewhere more comfortable and sit down and talk and eat. I'm hungry. They all went back down the passage, up through the hole in the roof and into the enormous cavern. They found a sandy corner and sat down. Julian handed Anne the kit bag and she undid it to get the food inside. Better only have one torch going, said Julian. We don't know how long we'll be here. We don't want to be left in the dark. Everybody immediately switched off their torches. The idea of being lost in the dark inside the hill wasn't at all nice. Anne handed out slices of bread and butter, and the children put thin slices of Mrs Mackey's delicious ham on them. They felt distinctly better when they had all eaten a good meal. That was jolly good, said Dick. No, we won't eat that chocolate, Anne. We may want it later on. Golly, I'm thirsty. So am I, said Nobby. My tongue's hanging out like old Timmy's. Let's go and get a drink. Well, there was a stream in that other cave beyond the tunnel, wasn't there? We can drink from that. It'll be all right. Well, I hope it will, said Julian. We were told not to drink water that wasn't boiled while we were caravanning, but we didn't know this sort of thing was going to happen. We'll go through the tunnel and get some water to drink from the stream. They made their way through the long, winding tunnel and past the shelf of stolen goods. Then on they went and came out into the cave through which the stream rushed so quickly. They dipped in their hands and drank thirstily. The water tasted lovely, so clear and cold. Timmy drank too. He was puzzled at this adventure, but so long as he was with George, he was happy. If his mistress suddenly took it into her head to live underground like a worm, that was all right, so long as Timmy was with her. I wonder if this stream does go to that hole in the hillside and pours out there, said Julian suddenly. If it does, and we could follow it, we might be able to squeeze out. We'd get terribly wet, said George, but that wouldn't matter. Let's see if we can follow the water. They went to where the stream disappeared into a tunnel, rather like the dry one they had come along. Julian shone his torch into it.
We could wade along, I think, he said. It is very fast, but not very deep. I know. I'll go along it myself and see where it goes and come back and tell you. No, said George at once. If you go, we all go. You might get separated from us. That would be awful. All right, said Julian. I thought there was no sense in us all getting wet, that's all. Come on, we'll try now. One by one, they waded into the stream. The current tugged at their legs, for the water ran very fast, but it was only just above the knees there. They waded along by the light of their torches, wondering where the tunnel would lead to. Timmy half waded, half swam. He didn't like this water business very much. It seemed silly to him. He pushed ahead of Julian, and then, a little further down, jumped up to a ledge that ran beside the water. Good idea, Tim, said Julian, and he got up onto it too. He had to crouch down, rather, as he walked, because his head touched the roof of the tunnel if he didn't, but at least his legs were out of the icy cold water. All the others did the same, and as long as the ledge ran along beside the stream, they all walked along it. But at times it disappeared, and then they had to wade in the water again, which now suddenly got deeper. Gracious, it's almost to my waist, said Anne. I hope it doesn't get any deeper. I'm holding my clothes up as high as I can, but they'll get soaked soon. Fortunately, the water got no deeper, but it seemed to go faster. We're going downhill a bit, said Julian at last. Perhaps we're getting near to where it pours out of the hill. They were. Some distance ahead of him, Julian suddenly saw a dim light and wondered whatever it could be. He soon knew it was daylight creeping in through the water that poured out of the hole in the hillside, poured out in a torrent into the sunshine. We're almost there, cried Julian. Come on. With light hearts, the children waded along in the water. Now they would soon be out in the warm sunshine. They would find Pongo and race down the hill in the warmth, catch the first bus, and go to the police station. But nothing like that happened at all. To their enormous disappointment, the water got far too deep to wade through, and Nobby stopped in fright. I don't go no further, he said. I'm almost off my feet now with the water rushing by. I am too, said Anne, frightened. Perhaps I can swim out, said Julian, and he struck out. But he gave it up in dismay, for the torrent of water was too much for him, and he was afraid of being hurled against the rocky sides and having his head cracked. It's no good, he said gloomily. No good at all. All that wading for nothing. It's far too dangerous to go any further, and yet daylight is only a few yards ahead. It's too sickening for words. We must go back, said George. I'm afraid Timmy will be drowned if we don't. Oh dear, we must go all that way back. Chapter 20 More Excitement it was a very sad and disappointed little company that made their way back to the cave. Along the tunnel they went, painfully and slowly, for it was not so easy against the current. Julian shivered. 
He was wet through with trying to swim. At last they were back in the cave through which the stream flowed so swiftly. Let's run round and round it to get warm, said Julian. I'm frozen. Dick, let me have one of your dry jerseys. I must take off these wet ones. The children ran round and round the cave, pretending to race one another, trying to get warm. They did get warm in the end and sank down in a heap on some soft sand in a corner, panting. They sat there for a little while to get their breath. Then they heard something. Timmy heard it first and growled. Jumping Jiminy! What's up with Timmy? said Nobby in fright. He was the most easily scared of the children, probably because of the frights he had had the last few days. They all listened, George with her hand on Timmy's collar. He growled again, softly. The noise they all heard was a loud panting coming from the stream over at the other side of the cave. Someone is wading up the stream, whispered Dick in astonishment. Did they get in at the place where we couldn't get out? They must have. But who is it? asked Julian. Can't be Lou or Dan. They wouldn't come that way when they could have come the right way. Shh! Whoever it is, is arriving in the cave. I'll shut off my torch. Darkness fell in the cave as the light from Julian's torch was clicked off. They all sat and listened, and poor Nobby shook and shivered. Timmy didn't growl any more, which was surprising. In fact, he even wagged his tail. There was a sneeze from the other end of the cave, and then soft footsteps padded towards them. Anne felt as if she must scream. Who was it? Julian switched on his torch suddenly, and its light fell on a squat, hairy figure halting in the bright glare. It was Pongo. It's Pongo! Everyone yelled and leapt up at once. Timmy ran over to the surprised chimpanzee and sniffed round him in delight. Pongo put his arms round Nobby and Anne. Pongo! You've escaped! You must have bitten through your rope, said Julian. How clever you are to find your way through the hole where the stream pours out. How did you know you would find us here? Clever Pongo! Then he saw the big wound on poor Pongo's head. Oh, look, said Julian. He's been hurt. I expect those brutes threw a stone at him. Poor old Pongo. Let's bathe his head, said Anne. I'll use my hanky. But Pongo wouldn't let anyone touch his wound, not even Nobby. He didn't snap or snarl at them, but simply held their hands away from him and refused to leave go. So nobody could bathe his head or bind it up. Never mind, said Nobby at last. Animals' wounds often heal up very quickly without any attention at all. He won't let us touch it, that's certain. I expect Lou and Dan hit him with a stone and knocked him unconscious when they came. They then shut up the hole and made us prisoners. Beasts. I say, suddenly said Dick, I say, I've got an idea. I don't know if it will work, but it really is an idea. What? asked everyone, thrilled. Well, what about tying a letter round Pongo's neck?
and sending him out of the hole again to take the letter to the camp, said Dick. He won't go to Lou or Dan because he's scared of them. But he'd go to any of the others all right, wouldn't he? Larry would be the best one. He seems to be a good fellow. Would Pongo understand enough to do all that, though? asked Julian doubtfully. We could try him, said Nobby. I do send him here and there sometimes, just for fun, to take the elephants back to Larry, for instance, or to put my coat away in my caravan. Well, we could certainly try, said Dick. I've got a notebook and a pencil. I'll write a note and wrap it up in another sheet, pin it together and tie it round Pongo's neck with a bit of string. So he wrote a note. It said, To whoever gets this note, please come up the hill to the hollow where there are two caravans. Under the red one is the entrance to an underground passage. We are prisoners inside the hill. Please rescue us soon. Julian, Dick, George, Anne and Nobby. He read it out to the others. Then he tied the note round Pongo's neck. Pongo was surprised, but fortunately did not try to pull it off. Now, you give him his orders, said Dick to Nobby. So Nobby spoke slowly and importantly to the listening chimpanzee. Where's Larry? Go to Larry, Pongo. Fetch Larry. Go. Go! Pongo blinked at him and made a funny little noise as if he was saying, Please, Nobby, I don't want to go. Nobby repeated everything again. Understand, Pongo. I think you do. Go then. Go. Go! And Pongo turned and went. He disappeared into the stream, splashing along by himself. The children watched him as far as they could by the light of their torches. He really is clever, said Anne. He didn't want to go a bit, did he? Oh, I do hope he finds Larry and that Larry sees the note and reads it and sends someone to rescue us. I hope the note doesn't get all soaked and pulpy in the water, said Julian rather gloomily. Gosh, I wish I wasn't so cold. Let's run round a bit again, then have a piece of chocolate. They ran about and played tag for a time till they all felt warm again. Then they decided to sit down and have some chocolate and played some sort of guessing game to while away the time. Timmy sat close to Julian and the boy was very glad. He's like a big hot water bottle, he said. Sit closer, Tim. That's right. He'll soon warm me up. It was dull after a time, sitting in the light of one torch, for they dare not use them all. Already it seemed as if Julian's torch was getting a little dim. They played all the games they could think of and then yawned. What's the time? I suppose it must be getting dark outside now. I feel quite sleepy. It's nine o'clock almost, said Julian. I hope Pongo has got down to the camp all right and found someone. We could expect help quite soon if so. Well then, we'd better get along to the passage that leads to the hole said Dick, getting up. It's quite likely that if Larry or anyone else comes, they'll not see the footholds leading up the wall out of that first little cave. They might not know where we were. This seemed very likely. They all made their way down the tunnel that led past the hidden store of valuables and came out into the enormous cave.
There was a nice sandy corner, just by the hole that led down into the first small cave, and the children decided to sit there rather than in the passage or in the first rocky and uncomfortable little cave. They cuddled up together for warmth and felt hungry. Anne and Nobby dozed off to sleep. George almost fell asleep too. But the boys and Timmy kept awake and talked in low voices. At least, Timmy didn't talk, but wagged his tail whenever Dick or Julian said anything. That was his way of joining in their conversation. After what seemed a long while, Timmy growled, and the two boys sat up straight. Whatever it was that Timmy's sharp ears had heard, they had heard nothing at all. And they continued to hear nothing, but Timmy went on growling. Julian shook the others awake. I believe help has come, he said, but we'd better not go and see in case it's Dan and Lou come back. So wake up and look lively. They were all wide awake at once. Was it Larry come in answer to their note? Or was it those horrid men, Tiger Dan and Lou the acrobat? They soon knew. A head suddenly poked out of the hole nearby and a torch shone on them. Timmy growled ferociously and struggled to fly at the head. But George held on firmly to his collar, thinking it might be Larry. But it wasn't. It was Lou the acrobat, as the children knew only too well when they heard his voice. Julian shone his torch on him. I hope you've enjoyed your little selves, came Lou's harsh voice. And you keep that dog under control, boy, or I'll shoot him, see? I'm not standing no nonsense from that dog this time. Have a look at this gun here. To George's horror, she saw that Lou was pointing a gun at poor Timmy. She gave a scream and flung herself in front of him. Don't you dare to shoot my dog! I'll... 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 She couldn't think of anything bad enough to do to the man who could shoot Timmy, and she stopped, choked by tears of rage and fear. Timmy, not knowing what the gun was, couldn't for the life of him understand why George wouldn't let him get at his enemy. Such a nice position, too, with his head poking through a hole like that. Timmy felt he could deal with that head very quickly. Now, you kids get up and go into that tunnel, said Lou. Go on, right ahead of me, and don't dare to stop. We've got work to do here tonight, and we're not going to have any more interference from kids like you, see? The children saw quite well. They began to walk towards the entrance of the tunnel. One by one, they climbed into it. George first with Timmy. She dared not let his collar go for an instant. A few paces behind them came Lou with his revolver and Dan with a couple of big sacks. The children were made to walk right past the shelf on which were the hidden goods. Then Lou sat down in the tunnel, his torch switched on fully so that he could pick out each child. He still pointed his revolver at Timmy. Now we'll get on, he said to Tiger Dan. You know what to do. Get on with it. Tiger Dan began to stuff the things into one of the big sacks he had brought. He staggered off with it. He came back in about ten minutes and filled the other sack. It was plain that the men meant to take everything away this time. Thought you'd made a very fine discovery, didn't you? said Lou mockingly to the children. Oh, yes, very smart you were.
See what happens to little smarties like you? You're prisoners, and here you'll stay for two or three days. What do you mean? said Julian in alarm. Surely you wouldn't leave us here to starve. Not to starve. We're too fond of you, grinned Lou. We'll chuck you down some food into the tunnel, and in two or three days maybe someone will come and rescue you. Julian wished desperately that Pongo would bring help before Lou and Dan finished their business in the tunnel and went, leaving them prisoners. He watched Tiger Dan working quickly, packing everything, carrying it off, coming back again, and packing feverishly once more. Lou sat still with his torch and revolver, enjoying the scared faces of the girls and Nobby. Julian and Dick put on a brave show, which they were far from feeling. Tiger Dan staggered away with another sackful. But he hadn't been gone for more than half a minute before a wail echoed through the tunnel. Lou! Help! Help! Something's attacking me! Help! Lou rose up and went swiftly down the tunnel. It's Pongo! I... Bet it's old Pongo, said Julian, thrilled. Chapter 21 Dick Has a Great Idea Listen, said Dick in an urgent voice. It may be Pongo by himself. He may not have gone back to the camp at all. He may have wandered about and at last gone down the entrance hole by the caravans and come up behind Tiger Dan. If so, he won't have much chance because Lou's got a gun and will shoot him and we shan't be rescued. So I'm going to slip down the tunnel while there's a chance and hide in a big cave. What good will that do? said Julian. Well, idiot, I may be able to slip down into the passage that leads to the entrance hole and hop out without the others seeing me, said Dick, getting up. Then I can fetch help, see? You better all clear off somewhere and hide. Find a good place, Julian, in case the men come after you when they find one of us is gone. Go on. Without another word, the boy began to walk down the tunnel, past the rocky shelf, on which now very few goods were left, and then came to the enormous cave. Here there was a great noise going on, for Pongo appeared to have got hold of both men at once. Their torches were out and Lou did not dare shoot, for fear of hurting Dan. Dick could see very little of this. He could only hear snarlings and shouting. He took a wide course round the heaving heap on the floor and made his way, as quickly as he could in the dark, to where he thought the hole was that led down into the first passage. He had to go carefully for fear of falling down it. He found it at last and let himself down into the cave below. And then, thinking it safe to switch on his torch in the passage, he flashed it in front of him to show him the way. It wasn't long before he was out of the hole and was speeding round the caravans. Then he stopped. A thought struck him. He could fetch help all right, but the men would be gone by then. They had laid their plans for a getaway with all the goods. There was no doubt about that. Suppose he put the boards over the hole ramming them in with all his strength, and then rolled some heavy stones on top. He couldn't move the caravan over the boards, for it was far too heavy for a boy to push. But heavy stones would probably do the trick. 
the men would imagine that it was the caravan overhead again. In great excitement, Dick put back the boards, lugging them into place, panting and puffing. Then he flashed his torch round for stones. There were several small rocks nearby. He could not lift them, but he managed to roll them to the boards. Plonk! They went onto them one by one. Now nobody could move the boards at all. I know I've shut the others in with the men, thought Dick, but I hope Julian will find a very safe hiding place, just for a time. Gosh, I'm hot. Now, down the hill I go, and I hope I don't lose my way in the darkness. Down below, the two men had at last freed themselves from the angry chimpanzee. They were badly bitten and mauled, but Pongo was not as strong and savage as usual because of his bad head wound. The men were able to drive him off at last, and he went limping in the direction of the tunnel, sniffing out the children. He would certainly have been shot if Lou could have found his revolver quickly enough, but he could not find it in the dark. He felt about for his torch and found that, although it was damaged, he could still put on the light by knocking it once or twice on the ground. He shone it onto Dan. We ought to have looked out for that ape when we saw he was gone, growled Dan. He had bitten his rope through. We might have known he was somewhere about. He nearly did for me, leaping on me like that out of the darkness. It was lucky he flung himself onto my sack and not me. Let's get the last of the things and clear out, said Lou, who was badly shaken up. There's only one more load. We'll get back to the tunnel, scare the life out of those kids once more, shoot Pongo if we can, and then clear out. We'll chuck a few tins of food down the hole and then close it up. I'm not going to risk meeting that chimp again, said Dan. We'll leave the rest of the things. Come on, let's go. Lou was not particularly anxious to see Pongo again either. Keeping his torch carefully switched on and his revolver ready, he followed Dan to the hole that led down to the first cave. Down they went and then along the passage eager to get out into the night and go with their wagon down the track. They got a terrible shock when they found that the hole was closed. Lou shone his torch upwards and gazed in amazement at the underside of the boards. Someone had put them back into place again. They were prisoners now. Tiger Dan went mad. One of his furious rages overtook him, and he hammered against those boards like a madman. But the heavy stones held them down, and the raging man dropped down beside Lou. Can't budge the boards. Someone was to put the caravan overhead again. We're prisoners. But who's made us prisoners? Who's put back those boards? shouted Lou, almost beside himself with fury. Could those kids have slipped by us when we were having that fight with the chimp? We'll go and see if the kids are still there, said Tiger Dan grimly. We'll find out. We'll make them very, very sorry for themselves. Come on. The two men went back again to the tunnel. The children were not there. Julian had taken Dick's advice and had gone off to try and find a good hiding place. He had suddenly thought that perhaps Dick might get the idea of shutting up the entrance hole in which case the two men would certainly be furious. So up the tunnel the children went, 
and into the cave with the stream. It seemed impossible to find any hiding place there at all. I don't see where we can hide, said Julian, feeling rather desperate. It's no good wading down that stream again. We shall only get wet and cold, and we have no escape from there at all if the men should come after us. I can hear something, said George suddenly. Put your light out, Julian, quick. The torch was snapped off, and the children waited in the darkness. Timmy didn't growl. Instead, George felt that he was wagging his tail. It's someone friendly, she whispered. Over there. Perhaps it's Pongo. Put the torch on again. The light flashed out and picked out the chimpanzee who was coming towards them across the cave. Nobby gave a cry of joy. Here's old Pongo again, he said. Pongo, did you go to the camp? Did you bring help? No, he hasn't been down to the camp, said Julian, his eyes catching sight of the note still tied round the chimpanzee's neck. There's our letter still on him. Oh, blow! He's clever, but not clever enough to understand a difficult errand like that, said George. Oh, Pongo, and we were depending on you. Never mind. Perhaps Dick will escape and bring help. Julian, where shall we hide? Up the stream, suddenly said Anne. We've tried going down it, but we haven't tried going up it. Do you think it would be any good? We could see, said Julian doubtfully. He didn't like this business of wading through water that might suddenly get deep. I'll shine my torch up the stream and see what it looks like. He went to the stream and shone his light up the tunnel from which it came. It seems as if we might walk along the ledge beside it, he said, but we'd have to bend almost double. And the water runs so fast just here, we must be careful not to slip and fall in. I'll go first, said Nobby. You go last, Julian. The girls can go in the middle with Pongo and Timmy. He stepped onto the narrow ledge inside the rocky tunnel, just above the rushing water. Then came Pongo, then Anne, then George and Timmy, and last of all, Julian. But just as Julian was disappearing... The two men came into the cave, and by chance, Lou's torch shone right onto the vanishing Julian. He gave a yell. There's one of them. Look over there. Come on. The men ran to where the stream came out of the tunnel, and Lou shone his torch up it. He saw the line of children, with Julian last of all. He grabbed hold of the boy and pulled him back. Anne yelled when she saw Julian being pulled back. Nobby had a dreadful shock. Timmy growled ferociously, and Pongo made a most peculiar noise. Now look here, came Lou's voice. I've got a gun, and I'm going to shoot that dog and that chimp if they so much put their noses out of here. So hang on to them if you want to save their lives. He passed Julian to Tiger Dan, who gripped the boy firmly by the collar. Lou shone his torch up the tunnel again to count the children. Oh! There's Nobby, he said. You come on out here, Nobby. If I do, the chimp will come out too, said Nobby. You know that. And he may get you before you get him. Lou thought about that. He was afraid of the big chimpanzee. You stay out there with him then, he said. 
and the girl can stay with you, holding the dog. But the other boy can come out here. He thought that George was a boy. George didn't mind. She liked people to think she was a boy. She answered at once. I can't come. If I do, the dog will follow me, and I'm not going to have him shot. You come on out, said Lou threateningly. I'm going to show you two boys what happens to kids who keep spying and interfering. Nobby knows what happens, don't you, Nobby? He's had his lesson. And you two boys are going to have yours, too. Dan called out to him. There ought to be another girl there, Lou. I thought Nobby said there were two boys and two girls. Where's the other girl? Gone further up the tunnel, I suppose, said Lou, trying to see. Now, you boy, come on out. Anne began to cry. Don't go, George. Don't go. They'll hurt you. Tell them you're a... Shut up, said George fiercely. She added in a whisper. If I say I'm a girl, they'll know Dick is missing and we'll be all the angrier. Hang on to Timmy. Anne clutched Timmy's collar in her trembling hand. George began to walk back to the cave. But Julian was not going to let George be hurt. He began to struggle. Lou caught hold of George as she came out of the tunnel. And at the same moment, Julian managed to kick high in the air and knocked Lou's torch right out of his hand. It flew up into the roof of the cave and fell somewhere with a crash. It went out. Now the cave was in darkness. Get back into the tunnel, George, with Anne, yelled Julian. Timmy, Timmy, come on. Pongo, come here. I don't want Timmy to be shot, cried out George in terror as the dog shot past her into the cave. Even as she spoke, a shot rang out. It was Lou, shooting blindly at where he thought Timmy was. George screamed. Oh, Timmy! Timmy! You're not hurt, are you? Chapter 22 The End of the Adventure No, Timmy wasn't hurt. The bullet zipped past his head and struck the wall of the cave. Timmy went for Lou's legs. Down went the man with a crash and a yell, and the revolver flew out of his hand. Julian heard it slithering across the floor of the cave, and he was very thankful. Put on your torch, George, quickly, he yelled. We must see what we're doing. Goodness, here's Pongo now. Tiger Dan gave a yell of fright when the torch flashed on and he saw the chimpanzee making straight for him. He dealt the ape a smashing blow on the face that knocked him down and then turned to run. Lou was trying to keep Timmy off his throat, kicking frantically at the excited dog. Dan ran to the tunnel and then stopped in astonishment. Four burly policemen were pushing their way out of the tunnel, led by Dick. One of them carried a revolver in his hand. Dan put up his hands at once. Timmy, come off, commanded George, seeing that there was now no need for the dog's delighted help. Timmy gave her a reproachful glance that said, Mistress, I'm really enjoying myself. Let me eat him all up. Then the dog caught sight of the four policemen and yelped furiously. More enemies. He would eat the lot. What's all this going on? said the first man, who was an inspector. Get up, you on the floor. 
Go on, get up. Lou got up with great difficulty. Timmy had nipped him in various places. His hair was over his eyes, his clothes were torn. He stared at the policeman, his mouth open in the utmost surprise. How had they come here? Then he saw Dick. So one of you kids slipped out and shut the boards on us, he said savagely. I might have guessed you. Hold your tongue, Louis Allberg, rapped out the inspector. You can talk when we tell you. You'll have quite a lot of talking to do to explain some of the things we've heard about you. Dick, how did you get here so soon? cried Julian, going over to his brother. I didn't expect you for hours. Surely you didn't go all the way to the town and back. No, I shot off to the farm, woke up the Mackies, used their telephone and got the police up here double quick in their car, said Dick, grinning. Everyone all right? Where's Anne and Nobby? There they are, just coming out of the tunnel upstream, said Julian, and swung his torch round. Dick saw Anne's white, scared face and went over to her. It's all right, he said. The adventure is over, Anne. You can smile again. Anne gave a watery sort of smile. Pongo took her hand and made little affectionate noises, and that made her smile a little more. George called Timmy to her, afraid that he might take a last nip at Lou. Lou swung round and stared at her. Then he looked at Dick and Julian, then at Anne. So there was only one girl, he said. What did you want to tell me there were two boys and two girls for? he said to Nobby. Because there were, answered Nobby. He pointed to George. She's a girl, though she looks like a boy, and she's as good as a boy any day. George felt proud. She stared defiantly at Lou. He was now in the grip of a stout policeman, and Tiger Dan was being hustled off by two more. I think we'll leave this rather gloomy place, said the inspector, putting away the notebook he had been hastily scribbling in. Quick march. Julian led the way down the tunnel. He pointed out the shelf where the men had stored their things, and the inspector collected the few things that were still left. Then on they went, Tiger Dan muttering and growling to himself. Will they go to prison? whispered Anne to Dick. You bet, said Dick. That's where they ought to have gone long ago. Their burglaries have been worrying the police for four years. Out of the tunnel and into the cave with gleaming walls, then down the hole and into the small cave and along the narrow passage to the entrance hole. Stars glittered over the black hole and the children were very thankful to see them. They were tired of being underground. Lou and Dan did not have a very comfortable journey along the tunnels and passages, for their guards had a very firm hold of them indeed. Once out in the open, they were handcuffed and put into the large police car that stood a little way down the track. What are you children going to do? asked the big inspector, who was now at the wheel of the car. Hadn't you better come down into the town with us after this disturbing adventure? Oh, no, thanks, said Julian politely. We're quite used to adventures. We've had plenty, you know. We shall be all right here with Timmy and Pongo. Well... I can't say I'd like a chimpanzee for company myself, said the inspector. 
We'll be up here in the morning, looking round and asking a few questions, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to answer. And many thanks for your help in capturing two dangerous thieves. What about the wagon of goods? asked Dick. Are you going to leave it up here? It's got lots of valuables in it. Oh, one of the men is driving it down, said the inspector, nodding towards a policeman who stood nearby. He'll follow us. He can drive a horse, all right. Well, look after yourselves. See you tomorrow. The car started up suddenly. The inspector put her into gear, took off the brake, and the car slid quietly down the hill, following the winding track. The policeman with the wagon followed slowly, clicking to the horse, which didn't seem at all surprised to have a new driver. Well, that's that," said Julian thankfully. "I must say we were well out of that. Gosh, Dick, I was glad to see you back with those bobbies so quickly. That was a brainwave of yours to telephone from the farm. Dick suddenly yawned. It must be frightfully late," he said. Long past the middle of the night, but I'm so fearfully hungry that I simply must have something to eat before I fall into my bunk. Got anything, Anne? Asked Julian. Anne brightened up at once. I'll see, she said. I can find something, I'm sure. And she did, of course. She opened two tins of sardines and made sandwiches, and she opened two tins of peaches. So they had a very nice meal in the middle of the night. They ate it sitting on the floor of George's caravan. Pongo had as good a meal as anyone, and Timmy crunched at one of his bones. It didn't take them long to go to sleep that night. In fact, they were all so sleepy when they had finished their meal that nobody undressed. They clambered into their bunks just as they were and fell asleep at once. Nobby curled up with Pongo, and Timmy, as usual, was on George's feet. Peace reigned in the caravans, and tonight no one came to disturb them. All the children slept very late the next morning. They were awakened by a loud knocking on Julian's caravan. He woke up with a jump and yelled out, "Yes, who is it?" "It's us," said a familiar voice. And the door opened. Farmer Mackey and his wife peeped in, looking rather anxious. We wondered what had happened," said the farmer. "You rushed out of the farmhouse when you had used the phone last night and didn't come back." "I ought to have slipped back and told you," said Dick, sitting up with his hair over his eyes. He pushed it back, but I forgot. The police went down into the hills with us and got the two men. They're well-known burglars. The police got all the goods too. It was a very thrilling night. Thanks most awfully for letting me use the phone. You're very welcome," said Mrs. Mackey. "And look, I've brought you some food." She had two baskets stacked with good things. Dick felt wide awake and very hungry when he saw them. "Oh, thanks," he said gratefully. "You are a good sort." Nobby and Pongo suddenly uncurled themselves from their pile of rugs, and Mrs. Mackey gave a squeal. "Land snakes! What's that? A monkey?" "No, an ape, ma'am," said Nobby politely. "He won't hurt you." "Hi! 
Take your hand out of that basket. Pongo, who had been hoping to find a little titbit unnoticed, covered his face with his hairy paw and looked through his fingers at Mrs. Mackey. Oh, look at that now. He's like a naughty child, said Mrs. Mackey. Isn't he, Ted? He is that, said the farmer. Strange sort of bedfellow, I must say. Well, I must be getting along, said Mrs. Mackey, nodding and smiling at George and Anne, who had now come out of their caravan with Timmy to see who the visitors were. You come along to the farm if you want anything. We'll be right pleased to see you. Aren't they nice, said Anne, as the two farm folk went down the cart track. And, oh my goodness, what a breakfast we're going to have. Cold bacon, tomatoes, fresh radishes, curly lettuces, and who wants new honey? Marvellous, said Julian. Come on, let us have it now, before we clean up. But Anne made them wash and tidy themselves first. You'll enjoy it much more if you're clean, she said. We all look as black as sweeps. I'll give you five minutes. Then you can come to a perfectly wonderful breakfast. All right, Ma, grinned Nobby, and he went off with the others to wash at the spring. Then back they all went to the sunny ledge to feast on the good things kind Mrs Mackey had provided. Chapter 23 Goodbye, Nobby. Goodbye, Caravanners. Before they had finished their breakfast, the inspector came roaring up the track in his powerful police car. There was one sharp-eyed policeman with him to take down notes. Hello, hello, said the inspector, eyeing the good things set out on the ledge. You seem to do yourselves well, I must say. Have some new bread and honey, said Anne in her best manners. Do, there's plenty. Thanks, said the inspector, and sat down with the children. The other policemen wandered round the caravans, examining everything. The inspector munched away at honey and bread, and the children talked to him, telling him all about their extraordinary adventure. It must have been a most unpleasant shock for those two fellows when they found that your caravan was immediately over the entrance to the place where they hid their stolen goods, said the inspector. Most unpleasant. Have you examined the goods? asked Dick eagerly. Are they very valuable? Priceless, answered the inspector, taking another bit of bread and dabbing it thickly with honey. Quite priceless. Those rogues apparently stole goods they knew to be of great value, hid them here for a year or two till the hue and cry had died down, then got them out and quietly disposed of them to friends in Holland and Belgium. Tiger Dan used to act in circuses in Holland, said Nobby. He often told me about them. He had friends all over Europe, people in the circus line, you know. Yes, it was easy for him to dispose of his goods abroad, said the inspector. He planned to go across to Holland today, you know. Got everything ready with Lou, or to give him the right name, Louis Allberg, and was going to sell most of those things. You just saved them in time. What a bit of luck, said George. They almost got away with it. 
if Dick hadn't managed to slip out when Pongo was attacking them, we'd still have been prisoners down in the hill, and Lou and Dan would have been halfway to Holland. Smart bit of work you children did, said the inspector approvingly, and looked longingly at the honeypot. That's fine honey. I must buy some from Mrs. Mackey. Have some more, said Anne, remembering her manners. Do? We've got another loaf. Well, I will, said the inspector, and took another slice of bread, spreading it with the yellow honey. It looked as if there wouldn't even be enough left for Pongo to lick out. Anne thought it was nice to see a grown-up enjoying bread and honey as much as children did. You know, that fellow Lou did some very remarkable burglaries, said the inspector. Once, he got across from the third floor of one house to the third floor of another across the street, and nobody knows how. That would be easy for Lou, said Nobby, suddenly losing his fear of the big inspector. He'd just throw a wire rope across, lasso something with the end of it, top of a gutter pipe perhaps, draw tight and walk across. He's wonderful on the tightrope. There ain't nothing he can't do on the tightrope. Yes, that's probably what he did, said the inspector. Never thought of that. No, thanks. I really won't have any more, honey. That chimpanzee will eat me if I don't leave some for him to lick out. Pongo took away the jar, sat himself down behind one of the caravans, and put a large pink tongue into the remains of the honey. When Timmy came running up to see what he had got, Pongo held the jar high above his head and chattered at him. Yabby, 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 he said. Timmy looked rather surprised and went back to George. She was listening with great interest to what the inspector had to tell them about the underground caves. They're very old, he said. The entrance to them used to be some way down the hill, but there was a landslide and it was blocked up. Nobody bothered to unblock it because the caves were not particularly interesting. Oh, but they are, said Anne, especially the one with the gleaming walls. Well, I imagine that quite by accident, one day Dan and Lou found another way in, said the inspector. The way you know, a hole going down into the hill. They must have thought what a fine hiding place it would make for any stolen goods. Perfectly safe, perfectly dry, and quite near the camping place here each year. What could be better? And I suppose they would have gone on burgling for years and hiding the stuff if we hadn't just happened to put our caravan over the very spot, said Julian. What a bit of bad luck for them. And what a bit of good luck for us, said the inspector. We did suspect those two, you know. And once or twice, we raided the circus to try and find the goods. But they must always have got warning of our coming and got them away in time, up here. Have you been down to the camp, mister? asked Nobby suddenly. The inspector nodded. Oh, yes. We've been down already this morning, seen everyone and questioned them. We created quite a stir. Nobby looked gloomy. What's the matter, Nobby? said Anne. I shan't half cop it when I get back to the camp, said Nobby. They'll say it's all my fault the copper's going there. 
We don't like the bobbies round the camp. I shall get into a whole lot of trouble when I go back. I don't want to go back. Nobody said anything. They all wondered what would happen to poor Nobby now his Uncle Dan was in prison. Then Anne asked him, Who will you live with now in the camp, Nobby? Oh, somebody will take me in and work me hard, said Nobby. I wouldn't mind if I could be with the horses, but Rossy won't let me. I know that. If I could be with horses, I'd be happy. I love them, and they understand me all right. How old are you, Nobby? asked the inspector, joining in the talk. Oughtn't you to be going to school? Never been in my life, mister, said Nobby. I'm just over fourteen, so I reckon I'll never go now. He grinned. He didn't look fourteen. He seemed more like twelve by his size. Then he looked solemn again. Reckon I won't go down to the camp today, he said. I'll be proper set on by all of them, about you going there and snooping round like. And Mr Giorgio, he won't like losing his best clown and best acrobat. You can stay with us as long as you like, said Julian. We'll be here a bit longer anyway. But he was wrong, just after the inspector had left, taking his policeman with him. Mrs Mackey came hurrying up to them with a little orange envelope in her hand. The messenger boy's just been up, she said. He was looking for you. He left this telegram for you. I hope it's not bad news. Julian tore the envelope open and read the telegram out loud. Amazed to get your letter about the extraordinary happenings you describe. They sound dangerous. Come home at once. Daddy. Oh, dear, said Anne. Now we shall have to leave. What a pity. I'd better go down to the town and telephone Daddy and tell him we're all right, said Julian. You can phone from my house, said Mrs Mackey. So Julian thought he would. They talked as they went along, and suddenly a bright idea struck Julian. I say... I suppose Farmer Mackey doesn't want anyone to help him with his horses, does he? he asked. He wouldn't want a boy who really loves and understands them and would work hard and well. Well, now, I dare say he would, said Mrs Mackey. He's a bit short-handed now. He was just saying the other day he could do with a good lad just leaving school. Oh, do you think he'd try our friend Nobby from the circus camp? said Julian. He's mad on horses. He can do anything with them. And he's been used to working very hard. I'm sure he'd do well. Before Julian had left the farmhouse, after telephoning to his amazed parents, he had had a long talk with Farmer Mackey. And now he was running back with the good news to the caravans. Nobby! He shouted as he got near. Nobby, how would you like to go and work for Farmer Mackey and help with the horses? He says you could start tomorrow, if you like, and live at the farm. Jumping Jiminy, said Nobby, looking startled and disbelieving. At the farm? Work with the horses? Cool. I wouldn't half like that. But Farmer Mackey wouldn't have the likes of me. He will. He says he'll try you, said Julian. We've got to start back home tomorrow, and you can be with us till then. 
You don't need to go back to the camp at all. But what about Growler? said Nobby. I'd have to have him with me. He's my dog. I expect poor old Barker's dead. Would the farmer mind me having a dog? Well, I shouldn't think so, said Julian. Well, you'll have to go down to the camp, I suppose, to collect your few things and to get Growler. Better go now, Nobby, and then you'll have the rest of the day with us. Nobby went off, his face shining with delight. Well, I never, he kept saying to himself. Well, I never did. Dan and Lou gone, so they'll never hurt me again. And me not going to live in the camp any more. And going to have charge of them fine farm horses. Well, I never. The children had said goodbye to Pongo because he belonged to Mr. Giorgio, and Nobby could not possibly keep him. Anyway, it was certain that even if he could have kept him, Mrs. Mackey wouldn't have let him live at the farm. Pongo shook hands gravely with each one of them, even with Timmy. He seemed to know it was goodbye. The children were really sorry to see the comical chimpanzee go. He had shared in their adventure with them, and seemed much more like a human being than an animal. When he had gone down the hill a little way, he ran back to Anne. He put his arms round her and gave her a gentle squeeze, as if to say, "You're all nice, the lot of you, but little Anne's the nicest." Oh, Pongo. You're really a dear," said Anne, and gave him a tomato. He ran off with it, leaping high for joy. The children cleared up everything, put the breakfast things away, and cleaned the caravans, ready for starting off the next day. At dinner time, they looked out for Nobby. Surely he should be back soon. They heard him whistling as he came up the track. He carried a bundle on his back. Round his feet ran two dogs, two. Why, one of them is Barker! Shouted George in delight. He must have got better. How simply marvellous! Nobby came up grinning. They all crowded round him, asking about Barker. Yes, it's fine, isn't it? Said Nobby, putting down his bundle of belongings. Lucilla dosed him all right. He almost died. Then he started to wriggle a bit. She said, and the next she knew, he was as lively as could be. Bit weak on his legs at first, but he's fine this morning. Certainly, there didn't seem anything wrong with Barker. He and Growler sniffed round Timmy, their tails wagging fast. Timmy stood towering above them, but his tail wagged too, so Barker and Growler knew he was friendly. I was lucky," said Nobby. I only spoke to Lucilla and Larry. Mister Giorgio has gone off to answer some questions at the police station, and so have some of the others. So I just told Larry to tell Mister Giorgio I was leaving, and I got my things and hopped it. Well, now we can really enjoy our last day," said Julian. "Everybody's happy, and they did enjoy that last day. They went down to the lake and bathed. They had a fine farmhouse tea at Mrs. Mackey's by special invitation. They had a picnic supper on the rocky ledge, with the three dogs rolling over and over in play. Nobby felt sad to think he would soon say goodbye to his posh friends.
but he couldn't help feeling proud and pleased to have a fine job of his own on the farm, with the horses he loved so much. Nobby, Barker, Growler, Farmer Mackey and his wife all stood on the cart track to wave goodbye to the two caravans the next morning. Goodbye, yelled Nobby. Good luck. See you again sometime. Goodbye, shouted the others. Give our love to Pongo when you see him. Woof, woof, barked Timmy. But only Barker and Growler knew what that meant. It meant, shake paws with Pongo for me. Goodbye, five caravanners. Till your next exciting adventure.